Uh, when I started thinking and planning about what approach I might take with the shepherds being told by an angel that a saviour had been born, I was considering this, that the shepherds being of a lowly class and not having any particular significance in society, being told first was an indication that Jesus our saviour was born for everyone. That he wasn't first and foremost for the privileged, wealthy and educated folk, only followed then by the rest of us. The event was made all the more special by the great company of the heavenly host also attending. Roman soldiers used the word company to mean around 100, as in centurion. Coupled with the word host, meaning multitude, the amount of angels who appeared could have run into hundreds, hundreds of thousands even. It's no wonder the shepherds were terrified and took this seriously. I feel I too would have been totally awestruck. However, since looking into the event more thoroughly, I found perhaps a far more meaningful and relevant explanation for the angel and the heavenly host visiting those apparently lowly men on the side of the hill in the middle of the night. It seems that there could be a much deeper significance of these particular shepherds being told first of Jesus' birth. I found references to Levitical shepherds, i.e. priestly shepherds, a number of times, while other references dismiss this title. Let's settle on the these shepherds were not your average run-of-the-mill shepherd. I want to draw your attention to Micah 4, verses 6 to 8, the Lord's plan. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will roll over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter Jerusalem a direct prophecy of our saviour Jesus restoring Jerusalem and the rest of Israel to the Jews. This term, watchtower of the flock, has relevance. In the Hebrew language, the name Migdalidur, I hope that's right, Joe, Migdal means tower and Idur means flock. It was a watchtower having two floors. The lower floor was used to manage the newborn lambs in order to pick out the firstborn mouths without blemish, who would be used for sacrifice to God. Then from the upper level, be able to keep watch over a large area, the herds of ewes and predators alike. These towers of the flock surrounded Bethlehem's shepherd's fields, where the up to one-year-old lambs were kept. Once the lamb was born, they were wrapped up in cloths and placed somewhere that was safe to recover from the birth process, more than likely a manger or stall. They wanted to protect the lamb from any sort of injury that would deem it un unacceptable for sacrifices of atonement. Five miles away in Jerusalem 
where the temple would be the place to make the sacrificial burnt offerings of a per perfect lamb. The rearing, care and supply of these perfect lambs was paramount to their job. It was their job. This would explain the otherwise solo position of a regular shepherd. This team effort allowed 24-7 protection and care. Actually, one might conclude it was a serious business, since the lambs would be held in their hundreds in Bethlehem shepherd's fields, ready for transport to Jerusalem. Migdal was a place near Bethlehem and is also referred to in Genesis 35, 19-21. So Rachel died in childbirth and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob, her husband, set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched its tent beyond Migdalidur. Back on the hillside, the angel told the terrified shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It doesn't take a genius to make the connection between the newborn lambs in their care and the newly born saviour wrapped in similar cloths and placed in a manger. This sign the angel told them of was specifically for them. Bearing that in mind and considering the Micah prophecy, which they might possibly have been familiar with, could have led them to at least start the search for the newly born saviour at Migdalidur, or Watchtower of the Flock. I'll leave that for you to decide, because the fact is, currently there are so many sites in Bethlehem claiming to be the birth site of Jesus. The times when God specifically wants us to hear him, he sends the message in a quite definite way. After the angel had reassured them and delivered the message, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared praising God. Now, given that the shepherds weren't afraid anymore, nevertheless, the skies being filled with heavenly bodies and myriad voices must surely have grabbed their attention further still. Either way, the shepherds left that hillside in haste to look for this amazing new baby, newborn baby immediately. I do wonder if it ever dawned on them just how significant the birth was. Have this baby growing into a man who ultimately, 30, years, 30 or so years later, potentially made their job redundant to those who received him. I like to think that they might appreciate the truth that the firstborn lamb of God would sacrifice his life to atone for the sins of all, a one-time perfect sacrifice offered by the Father God himself. Would they be enlightened to what we have the benefit of knowing now? 
in Hebrews 10, 5, it says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. I, I can't imagine that if these shepherds were the untrustworthy, dirty and uncouth men, some definitions would have us believe, would, would stay that way. Would they remain those same men? In verse 18, it says, And all who heard the account were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, I know it doesn't say believed, but to be amazed by what they heard reflects a certain acceptance. Was there something different about these men now that they would made others receptive to their account? A few years ago, while at Spring Harvest, during the evening meeting in the Big Top, there was a moment when everyone there, around 5,000 folks, sang Amazing Grace a cappella. I can confidently say I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. It was so moving. The feeling of unity, joy and worshipful enthusiasm was palpable. Although I imagine it would perhaps pale into insignificance if it was um, compared to the angel's proclamation on that most holy of nights. Rest assured, in much the same way as me remembering that experience in the Big Top at Butlins, that night the shepherds sh surely would remember that first open-air concert sung by so many voices to just a few men. So I'm going to move on to the um, angel's song of peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those whom his favour rests, was the spontaneous declaration of these heavenly bodies. It's as if the compulsion to declare what they knew, felt and experienced was irresistible. Not so much a planned and agreed show of force, but a reflection of the utter and complete appreciation of Jesus, God's one and only Son. They knew just how enormously important and pivotal Jesus' birth was, not only to Israel, but the whole world. They couldn't contain themselves. Their joy in knowing the breadth and width of God's grace was uncontainable. As we meditate during this time of Advent, waiting patiently, watching expectantly, draw strength from the angel's proclamation, glorifying our God and the promise of peace on whom his favour rests. God's favour or grace does indeed rest on us through Jesus. There's plenty of references to angels throughout the Bible, 275 apparently, I did not count. However, I could only find this one event where a great company of the heavenly host appeared. My big topic experience was emotional, and while that moment wouldn't be maintained, be maintained emotion, I can hold it in my heart. What of, this, what of us this Advent time, this time of remembering the events that came together in discovering and celebrating when Jesus came to earth? 
Does it just punctuate our Christian calendar? Once behind us, put aside for the next big and meaningful event, true, Easter. True, it's unrealistic to maintain such high excitement, but let's not be hasty to get past those emotions so we can go back to our usual life. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17, but thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life and who is equal to such a task. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. What then can be our response to the angel song of peace? Is it possible that we could fill the skies with our praise and worship can we fill the air with the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus? When we share gifts, meals and hospitality, hold Jesus in the centre of it all. Is it a bold suggestion to share the good news of Jesus through all these activities? This is the time of year to be bold. This time as we wait with high anticipation to celebrate his birth and his life. The shepherds rushed to find him as soon as they were told of his birth. It would be so wonderful to inspire someone this Christmas to rush to find Jesus for themselves. To be able to proclaim the glory of God for ourselves is a great starting point. I see a fair comparison of their proclamation and the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or glorified be your name. And the next sentence, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, can be prayed as a plea or an announcement. King Jesus gives us peace through his grace as sent by God. The kingdom of God experienced on earth means following Jesus, his words, and his teachings. Jesus is God's will come down to earth from heaven. Jesus is God's will come down to earth from heaven. Jesus himself taught us to pray these words, words uttered by angels and men alike. Can we ever do those words the same justice? For me, I'm guilty of sometimes saying the Lord's Prayer as an habitual recital of words, paying no particular attention to what I'm actually praying. Lord, forgive me for that. The opening lines especially are clear opportunities to declare the magnificence of our Lord and Father. We're not angels. We're Christian men and women and as such can speak these words with the same 
if not more gusto than the angels. Angels are described as the heavenly host. I now aspire to be described as part of the earthly host, extra specially during this Advent time. Glory to God in the highest heaven. A lifetime of following Jesus and studying his word would still leave us short of fully appreciating the gift willingly given in Jesus, the vulnerable baby, the curious child, the surrendering adult who simply turned the world upside down. Play the words of the angel's song over and over in your mind this Advent. Use the song to block the new, nearly overwhelming noise and distraction of consumerism and capitalism at this most influential period in the year. Instead, be the sound, be the aroma, be the joy through this time of Advent and beyond. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Amen.